Well, thank you, band, for leading us in music this morning. And thank you so much for 15 plus years. Um, it's been a great season, and um, I have enjoyed it. And if you've ever wondered uh, whether or not your church, this church, Stones Hill Community Church, has made a difference, it certainly has in my life. For uh, I probably would not have been here had it not been for the opportunity to come and lead and serve and uh, be a part of your community and this community of believers. So you have definitely impacted my life, and Ligonier has become home. So thank you for being a good home. Thank you for being a positive place to serve. It has been a blessing. And um, all of our kids, when they come home, are always glad to come and be in church uh, with us. Church is always a positive experience, and you, you are the, uh, the reason for that. You have always kept it a positive experience. And th this is a great place to work. It is a great place to be. And, uh, and that's in large part um, to you and the kind people that you are. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you know, one of the things that we've been doing here, and I'll be, we'll proceed with the um, message, the next message and installment in the series that we're calling Sent, where we're looking at the Acts of the Apostles. And then also we'll branch out and take in some of the uh, Pauline letters as well, and portions of Pauline letters. Uh, we are all sent. We are, we are to live a purpose-driven life, a phrase that was made popular several years ago by Rick Warren. And we are sent. We are sent to make a difference. We are sent to have an impact. We are sent to be a ministry. In fact, that's how I'm just looking at all my life. Wherever I go, whenever I'm going, God, how do you want to use me? And may I be a candidate for that. And so I hope that we all can adopt that kind of missional approach to life. But one of the things that we've been doing here uh, is we've been looking at how we can love people better. And we, uh, we, we're hearing from maybe those in the Hispanic community how we can love Hispanic community better, the African-American community, how, how we can love people uh, better in that way, in that part, uh, those who um, are of that ethnicity and race. Um, we are also looking at how we can love people in various vocations. In fact, next week, we're going to hear from uh, one of the leaders of the law enforcement community here in our town. Um, they're going to be here to tell us how we can love law enforcement better in our community as a church. And so, um, really enjoyed it. And today, we're going to hear how we can love someone better that's come through a time of grief how we can love people better who are grieving, who are hurting. And one of the things that we can do is hear their story. And it's been a couple of months ago now, but uh, I was able to do the funeral of Carol Rose. And there was a very unique story that happened at the time of her death and funeral. And so I just want uh, you to hear today uh, and make welcome Bob Rose, and maybe a couple of his sons are with him today, uh, Randy and Bobby, and if so, they're welcome to come up as well. They're going to just share with you a few words related uh, to what God has done and how he's just bearing witness to them and their lives in this time of need. So, Bob, why don't you come up? Looks like you're here so low, so you're going to be good to go. I'm going to stay with you. Good morning. My son's chickened out of me. <laughs> uh, my name's Bob Rose. My wife's name's Carol. We've lived in this area about 55 years. And uh, back in December, Carol was diagnosed with cancer. And we went through a series of testing and... and uh, in, in treatments, and uh, on May 26, my birthday, in fact, we were told by, by the cancer doctors at Goshen that she uh, she was terminal, and she was going to pass. And we had maybe four weeks, but leading up to this, this my kids spent a lot of time at the house, and. Uh, 
They didn't talk a lot about this around me, but they did with their mother. But my youngest son, he said to his mother, said, Mom said, we know you're going to go. But when you go, you got to give us a sign that you're all right. You got to let us know you're all right. And she was always upbeat. She said, "Oh, I will." And so, on the 26th day of May, the doctors told me that she was terminal. And on the <coughs> Joy, maybe you can tell about the 27th that you both killed her. Yeah, you're doing great. So the family has asked the Lord. Could you give just give us a sign that lets us know mom's okay? Randy and Bobby have been praying that prayer, and and uh, Bob as well. And so that's what he's going to share with you in just a second. But we had a baptism um, at home, at her home. And so I just basically had all the family together around, and we each went around mm-hmm. the room and just shared the things we loved about, the things they loved about wife or mother you know and the grandkids were there as well and they shared some and then I had each of the uh, grandkids to help me with the baptism and so I baptized in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit and each time I would just scoop up because she couldn't be immersed you know so we just had a a basin of water and uh, I would scoop up these big handfuls of water and and make sure it was lukewarm you know so it didn't freeze her out too much and she's laying on the couch you know and uh, she's really, really struggling, you could tell, and she was carrying the weight of everything. And so in the name of the father, and then I'd had the, one of the grandkids to, to use a handkerchief to help just wipe her face. The name of the son, and, and then I could just tell that she was brightening up a little bit more the second time. And then the name of the Holy Spirit, and then she just, she, it was just like a flower that opened up. And just the, the presence of the Lord just came in the room and came over Carol. And uh, she grabbed the arms of her son, Randy, and was saying the name of Jesus and just kept repeating the name, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then, uh, and then she sat up on the couch after that. And for the rest of the evening, she was just there like a, a, a newly bloomed flower sitting on the, uh, on the sofa in her uh, living room. And that's really the last memory I have of her in terms of her ab- ability to be able to communicate and share of course, she was uh, with us a little while longer, but then, uh, you know, the, the illness and the cancer and things was just overwhelming and taking her strength. All right, so I think maybe I'll just let you pull in there. And, yeah. yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> Bobby said to her, said, Mom says, when you leave, says, give us a sign that you're going to be all right. And she said, I will. And so at, uh, on June the 3rd at 440 in the evening, she passed away. And excuse me. I was I was holding her and the boys went outside. They couldn't they couldn't see this. So they went outside. And thank you guys. Sorry, you're tripping out. <laughs> Well, I'll tell it. What what happened, like Dad said, uh, June 3rd, around 4.40 p.m., Mom passed away. June 3rd, around 4.45 p.m., my brother and my oldest daughter were outside, and Taylor come walking around Dad's truck, and she just started hollering, Uncle Randy, Uncle Randy. And he went and around, and he saw a bird, and he started hollering at me, and I went, and I came around the truck, and there was this beautiful white dove just standing by the truck, walking back and forth in Dad's driveway. Now, when Randy was hollering at me, he could have reached out and picked that bird up. It was not going to leave. I walked in and got Dad, and we, we came out, and we were on the porch, and the three of us saw it. Let me tell you something. Yeah, 440, 444. I'll never forget it. Bobby come in and said, Dad, you got to come see this. And he said, hurry. And as you may have noticed, me coming up here, I can't hurry anymore. So, so 
I said, I'll get there. And I walked out on the porch. And this beautiful white dove walked down the road. And I have a wide driveway. And a boat and a truck was on one side. And there's about 10 people standing by that boat. And as the dove walked down the street, it looked at the people standing beside the truck. It evidently wasn't who he wanted to see. So he come on down to the next part of my driveway and us three guys were standing there and the dove just looked at us. And of course we were all mesmerized. We just, we looked at, at the dove. And a friend of ours had heard that Carol was passing and she came from Syracuse and she got there and we live on the circle over there on Sparta Lake Road. And she came around the circle, and when she did, the dove evidently was frightened, and it left, and it flew up on the neighbor's house, and it turned around, and it just looked back at us. Of course, we looked at, at the dove, and, and maybe, I don't know how long it was, three or four minutes, our neighbor came out, and the dove disappeared, and I honestly... What I saw, it lifted up and disappeared into the sky. And neighbor came out and said, did you see that? I said, where did it go? He said, we just saw it disappear into the clouds. So I guess what I want to say is we know where mom's at today. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I may, I may be all wet behind the ears, but I think that was the, the sign that I asked for from mom in the garage two weeks before she had passed and I truly believe that she's in heaven. And that was the most beautiful, beautiful dove that you've ever seen. It was a huge dove, solid white. And I think it's mentioned in the Bible about 50 times. Pastor Joy. Yes. Yeah, the dove's a beautiful symbol of God's presence. And in, out, in all of that, then I knew what my funeral text was going to be. And for her funeral, and that was uh, when at Jesus' baptism, the dove came down, symbolized by the Spirit, came down, and, uh, and the Lord said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And, uh, and so I take from that, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. You know where she is. Hey, this is a great, let's, let's pray for this family. Let's pray for this family. Thank you, God, for this day, and thank you so much for uh, Bob and Bobby and Randy and their their family, thank you for just how they have teamed up on this. And they have to be a team as they move forward in this time of loss. And and uh, we want to do a good job of loving others in our community that go through these heart-wrenching places. And we just thank you, Father. Even though the world is a chaotic mess, you are still doing your work. Um, you are ma You are showing us your fingerprints. And you are uh, giving us these insights into your presence. You're still at work in the world. Praise God. And we thank you for ministering to this family, especially in this way at this time. And so now may we live in your presence. May they feel and draw your strength. And um, may they um, just be assured that all is well. And that this world is not all there is. There's another world. And there's thin places and God shows up and lets us know and invites us in. So thank you. Guide us now this morning as we continue to live for you and endeavor to honor you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we just give them a hand, can we? Yeah. I really, really appreciate the Rose family, and I appreciate how these guys have teamed up together, and this is how we get through it, isn't it? We team up together as families. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you for your love. And many of you have lost different uh, family members and uh, friends and different ones over even this past year, and so we just, our prayers are with you, and we love you, and uh, we want to do a good job. We're sent. We are sent um, to be a ministry, to be the presence of Christ. <clears throat> we are Christians, Christians, and uh, this, is our, our, this is part of our calling, part of our ministry. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning 
again out of Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. And that's, it's a very important passage, and it's a passage that kind of catches you by surprise. Okay? Uh, and what happens here? One of the things I have noticed recently is that there are uh, a lot of people talking about panic attacks. Have you noticed the different, different people that's sharing their stories? And uh, this is impacting a lot of people. It's almost as if we are in a collective, a cultural collective mode of panic attack. Um, different ones talk about a panic attack and what, how that impacts our life. I think uh, in the, the, the heart races and we get dizzy and lightheaded. There's sweating and chills, there's trembling and nausea and uh, cramping sometimes and numbness and appetite loss and tense muscles and fatigue and restlessness. You know, I can't really remember uh, the day it was, but it's like, you know what, I'm going down the interstate on, uh, or up the interstate coming home from Indiana, uh, Indianapolis for something and um, on I-69 and I'm like, what was that? Because I just felt something and it was just kind of weird. It's like, that, that shouldn't be that way. I mean, I exercise on a regular basis. Um, I try to just offload my stresses to the Lord and, um, you know, just keep an open account with Him, try to keep my obedience up to date. I'm coming up I-69, it's like, what is that? And it's almost like the thing was closing in on me. You ever felt that way? You ever get, get caught by surprise by something like that where it's like, and I, and I got to thinking, what, what had I been thinking about for the last 30 or 40 miles on I-69, okay? You got a lot of thinking time on I-69 and uh, from Indy to Fort Wayne. And done that stretch many times, as have many of you. And uh, so I was just thinking about some of the things I was thinking about. And you know, a lot of the things I was thinking about were things beyond my control. You ever been there? You relate to what I'm saying? I had been thinking about things beyond my control. My inability to do things that I felt like me maybe needed to happen in my life or the life of other people. And I, had a, I must have had the beginnings of what I think a lot of people are experiencing. And so uh, I think that we're, and, and if I were going to give, and you know me, I like to give practical uh, encouragement or practical admonition or uh, even some steps. You know, I'm a steps-oriented guy, and not, not that everything can be solved with the steps and things, but I was curious to know how might one deal with this collective uh, atmosphere of panic attack that's afflicting. A lot of women I've read, a lot of women 40 to 50 are just immersed in this issue, and, uh, but it's not just, it's everybody. It's, it's, all, it's all ages, it's all races, okay? It's all, it's all life stages, uh, it's male and female. This is a really, really rough season where people are feeling closed in and they're feeling out of control. And I think this is why we're seeing it. And so as I was thinking about that, and if I could just give you, I'll just go ahead and give you the four or five things that I think that's helped guide me and these are coming from a, diff a few different sources, but as I've consulted other sources on how to deal with panic and things that maybe we feel, it seems that these things are confirmed. And basically step back, scale down, change patterns, rebuild credibility, and take time. Okay? I'm going to come back to that a little later in the message. Those are the five things. Okay, and you'll see that a lot. You can Google it. You can read different books and things on this, and, and the, the, you're going to find a recycling of those basic ideas. Okay, and here's the deal. It works not just if you are facing panic or a high, highly volatile, stressful situation in your life. This works, that works, th this plan of knowing what to do and how to process those kinds of moments it works even if you've made a mistake in life. We need to step back, scale down, so on and so forth. If you've experienced failure in your life, if you are going through relational, a time of relational breakdown and dysfunction, maybe in your family or your marriage, okay, we have all kinds of anxiety-inducing events, triggering events that can put us in a place where it feels like 
this thing is closing in on me and I got to get out of this room. I got to get out of this elevator. I got to get out of this house because I'm just about to go stir crazy and I've got COVID cabin fever and I'm going to go nuts if something doesn't break or something doesn't happen. Okay? And so as we think about this, this doesn't just work for those. Some of you may say, well, I don't have panic attacks. Have you had a failure in your life? Have you made a mistake? Have you met? You know what? We all make mistakes. And I'm going to talk to you about some guys in our text today that made some mistakes, but sent people with a purpose driven goal make mistakes. We're not beyond the making and committing of mistakes. And so you're going to, we're going to read today how Mark made a mistake. He probably went on a missionary journey you should have never gone on, wasn't ready for. Paul made a mistake. He was way too harsh. Barnabas made a mistake because he separated from a close ministry uh, co-worker. We all make mistakes. And so can we just normalize that? We all face um, stress-related things in our life because we've made mistakes. We've we've experienced failure. We're, We're up against something we can't control. And we don't know what to do about it. Uh, sometimes ma- there's marriage mistakes. You took someone for granted. Um, there are moral mistakes. Maybe you crossed a moral line that you should have never crossed. There's financial mistakes. You didn't really know what you were do- trying to do when you were investing and you lost a lot of money. Maybe there's vocational mistakes. You thought you would like the job, now you don't. Um, there's addiction mistakes. You thought you'd just try it one time and boy, here you are a few years later and this thing's got you. All right, maybe it's time management mistakes. You showed up to work one too many times late and it cost a job. Maybe it's a worldview mistake. I've talked to you a lot about that lately. The worldviews that are operating in the world. And, uh, and so no, you're no longer seeing the Bible as authoritative. That's a big problem today. And I may talk to you a little more about next week about worldview things. But when we don't see the Bible as authoritative, it's just another lens with all the other lenses. We get into problems. We make worldview mistakes. And all of a sudden now we're going to live our life according to uh, 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 an errant worldview. It's going to put us in a, in a problematic, uh, create problems for us down the road. So there's health mistakes. We don't care for our body like we should. Uh, there's accidents that just happen. We are in too big a hurry sometimes. Sometimes we make mistakes in the areas of our giftings. We make mistakes in the area of our sexuality. We make mistakes in how we treated our parents. We make mistakes in how we treated our spouses. And this creates stress and anxiousness. We make mistakes in how maybe we parented our kids. Uh, we make mistakes. Maybe we purchased something we shouldn't have purchased or, or uh, we, we were misdirected in some way. So listen, we all make mistakes. We all have failure. We all have these anxiety-inducing events. And I think what's happening in our text is that John Mark, a guy we're going to read about in just a second, John Mark made a series of mistakes, but he, he experienced an anxiety-inducing moment in such a, to such an extent that he actually abandons the sent missionary team in Acts chapter 15, which was Paul and Barnabas. John Mark was going to go with those guys, and he did go, and he lasted for just a little while, just a few, few weeks, and then he left the team. He, he, he experienced a failure in his life, and I, I'm, I'm thinking it was kind of like a, maybe a panic attack in his life where he was overwhelmed by all that was happening around him. You know, uh, it's like when we get to Acts 15, and you see... Uh, um, Paul and Barnabas, it's like two big horn sheep just collide in Acts 15. And we're not expecting it. And when I read it, it's just like, it's just like in my mind, everything just went quiet. It's like two spiritual heavyweights, bam, like that. And you just hear the cracking of the horns. And it's deathly quiet. What? Luke actually records this in the book of Acts for all of us to read? That's the Bible's way. Okay, it doesn't pull punches. It tells you exactly how it happened. These guys, just like two big horn sheep, collide in Acts 15, and it was over a guy by the name of John Mark. 
John Mark was a Jerusalem blue blood, we could say. He was, he was part of the aristocratic class, but he was a believer, but he was a part of a, an aristocratic class in Jerusalem. So he comes from uh, aristocracy. He, he has lived a very um, privileged life, we could say. Um, he, he was from a, he, his mother, Mary. We see this in Acts chapter 12. She more than likely owned the home where the Last Supper was held on the night of Jesus' arrest and things. Okay, so, so he's from a well-to-do family. There's money in the family. He has a home big enough to have the upper room, the upper room and thus room for the, for the 12 apostles and Jesus. In fact, Mark more than likely was one of the servers in that Last Supper scene. And so... He also, we learn, at the end of Mark's gospel, when they were coming to arrest Jesus, they grabbed a hold of his coat and were going to arrest, uh, evidently incarcerate, or at least detain Mark. And he, he fled, he, he took off, and he lost his coat. In fact, the text tells us he fled away naked. Okay, so he, he has faced, he has seen some of this trauma. He's experienced some of this stuff. And, uh, and now he's going to go on a missionary journey where there's highly contested spiritual ground. There's spiritual warfare. Um, you're going to see it as you read, if you re- would read Acts 13 and 14, you're going to see the spiritual warfare stuff that, that they face on this first missionary journey that they were sent on. And so Mark is enlisted to go with these guys, Paul and Barnabas, on this first missionary journey, and it ate him alive. It ate him up. He was not ready for this pioneer work of pioneer missions. And so he goes back home. We'll read it in just a second. But what you're going to find is that now, a couple of, maybe a year and a half, two years later, you have Paul and Barnabas who are going to go back and do some follow-up discipleship work on the places that they visited. And Barnabas says, who is... Uh, uh, John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. You'll see it in just a little bit. Um, he says, I'm going to take Barnabas. Barnabas says, I'm going to take John Mark with us. Even though he abandons the first journey, I'm going to take him with us. Paul says, no, you're not. I'm the guy whose head is getting mashed in by stoning. Read it. It's in the Bible, the book of Acts. Mark left before Paul got stoned and left for dead. I'm the guy that's bleeding for this enterprise. You're not. i, I got to have people who can put up with all the mess, and, and, and they're going to see some pretty rough stuff. i got to have people that are ready. I can't, we can't tolerate somebody that's green and not ready to face the, the, the traumas and the, and the battles of being sent into a very dark world. Paul says he's not going. Barnum says, oh, wait a second. You're all about the mission, Paul. I'm about the man. We've got to encourage this guy. We've got to give this guy a second chance. We gotta, we gotta be gracious here. Now it's not just one and you're done, Paul. Come on. You, you know me better than that. And they both dug in their heels like two big orange sheep. Bam! And they're neither one gonna yield. In fact, the word, and so sometimes I'll look at the closely at the Greek text, and sometimes a word will pop out at me, and that becomes kind of my theme word. And so a theme word for this message today is it comes out of verse 39 of the text. And in fact, let's go ahead and pull up verse 39, if you would, real quick for me, because that might help explain this a little bit. And verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement, paroxysmos is the Greek word. We get our English word paroxysm from it. Do you know what that means? A paroxysm? It's a violent action of emotion. It's very sharp and very cutting. I think we could even say it was, a, it was a, an anxiety, stress-filled, inducing, and triggering moment. We could say almost a panic attack. Okay? A panic attack. And see, I think we have paroxysm. You ever have a paroxysm? You, you ever do something, maybe in your family, you have a paroxysm, your husband, your wife? Try bringing, some of you guys, try bringing people home for dinner and not tell your wife that you're doing that. You're going to have a paroxysm, okay? 
That's going to happen. It's in, okay, prophet, Joey, yep. It's in your future. You're going to have one of them, okay? Try telling your older adult son, maybe he ought to think about doing it this way instead of that way, okay? That maybe he's not ready to, you, you picked the wrong time and place to share that bit of if, advice and information. You're going to have a paroxysm on your hands. There's going to be an anxiety-inducing event, okay? So, this is what we see, this is, this is the, and so I'm kind of preaching the emotions in the text this morning. The stress and the anxiety and the heaviness and the despair that I sense in the text, I sense in our world. And so I think we're, this is kind of where they are, this is kind of where we are. And so, and so what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about how you can get the most out of your mistakes. Now, God does some great things for this, for this missionary team. They ended up dividing. Paul gets Silas. They go in one direction. Barnabas takes John Mark. They go in another direction. So there's two missionary teams now instead of one. So God overrules. Sometimes he, he overrules our paroxysms. He overrules when we are stubborn about something we dig in our heels and we're, we're not going to change and we're not going to bend and we're going to be our way God can even work through and over and beyond and transcend that to do some good things and so that's what he does here in the following chapters in Acts 15 but I want to talk to you about how you can use your mistakes your failures these anxiety moments of life how, 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 can we, how can we use those in such a way and, and learn from those in such a way that we can make the most of them? I already told you. Step back. Scale down. Change patterns. Rebuild credibility. Take time. That's how you do it. Okay? I'm going to talk to you to wrap up the message as well. I'll tell you a little bit about Rebecca Lyon, and we'll talk about her in just a moment. But she, she basically has to live those out because she got to the place where uh, she was so anxiety-ridden for like a, several, uh, just several months. It was almost a daily occurrence, she said, where she just wanted to curl up in a closet and not come out. And she had just moved her family to New York City. And, uh, and, and, and God had a... God graciously spoke into her life at 3 a.m. one morning and there was just convulsing and shaking and she just she was crying out to God her husband was praying for her and this was after a series of a lot of panic attacks and she said God just delivered her and she got still she quit shaking and it went great for seven years she even wrote a book this is how you overcome anxiety moved her family from New York from from Atlanta to New York City Anxious time, New York City to Franklin, Tennessee, six, seven years later, wrote a book. This is how you overcome it. And on her 44th birthday, her father died, and it hit her again. In the closet, fetal position, didn't want to come out. What are you going to do? How can, we, how can we process this? How can we process this stress, this anxiousness, this, this, this fear and, and, and not be in positions where God has to deliver us at 3 a.m. in the morning. Okay? That's the question. Step back. Scale down. Change patterns. Rebuild credibility. Take time. Okay? That's the message. In the short form. Okay? That's exactly what John Mark needed to do, and he ends up doing. The New Testament bears that out. And then not only that, but it's what Rebecca Lyons ends up doing, and it's what you and I are going to have to do if we're going to make it through this COVID thing. Somebody said, we come through COVID, you're either going to be a, a hunk, you're going to work out all the time and get big, you're going to be a chunk because you're going to eat your way through it, and you're going to get big that way, okay, this way, maybe not this way, but this way, or you're going to be a drunk, all right? So take your pick. You want to be a hunk, a, a, a chunk, or a drunk? Is there a better plan, all right, for doing COVID-19? That actually rhymes. That works. That preaches. Three-point outline right there. So listen, I want, I want us to do better. 
I want us to do better than that. And that's, what I, that's why as a pastor, I'm coming to you and saying, there's a better way we can get through COVID-19. There's a better way to get through cultural revol- and social revolution. There's a better way to get through this. And, uh, and I think we see it here, and it's nested right here in this awful passage where two big spiritual bighorn sheep collide. Kabam! Like that. And neither, of, neither one of them would yield. Okay, what do we learn? Well, uh, if we just look on the screen, uh, slide number two, if you would, for me. I'm going to move quickly here so we can just uh, wrap this up in a timely fashion. Okay? When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission... On the screen, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. John was his Jewish name. Mark was his Latin or Roman name, John Mark. Next verse, verse uh, Acts 13, 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga. Pull my map up for me. I think it's slide number eight. All right, slide number eight. Uh, it's a little too small. Go to the next slide. Okay, so Perga, they come Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea from the island of Cyprus. They go to Perga, and then Paul's going to go from Perga to Pisidian Antioch, all right? And John Mark is going to leave him right at Perga. See Perga right there? That's where John Mark abandons him, okay? He heads for Jerusalem. He realizes he's made a mistake, okay? He heads for Jerusalem and Paul goes on up through to Pisidian Antioch. He does not preach in Perga on the first pass through. He does on the second pass when he comes back down through. But people are wondering, why in the world did Paul, why do we not read anything about ha- anything happening on the first missionary journey in Perga when they're going north? And uh, one of the commentators has done yeoman's work on this, and he, he demonstrates very effectively, very powerfully, uh, that, Mark, that uh, Paul... And this is the area known as Galatia. He writes a letter to the Galatians. He has a malarial attack. Not a panic attack, a malarial attack. It affects eyesight, your head, your, your whole body. Many people surmise that John Mark saw Paul in that condition. This is why he heads for higher country, 3,600 feet from Perga up to Pisidian Antioch. Go to my picture of the mountain range, okay? Mountain range, there it is. That's what it looks like standing up looking from Perga where you're going to go. John Mark looked at that and said, uh-oh, what am I up to? There's flash floods. There's robbers that hang out in caves. This is, no, this is not for me. I'm a Jerusalem blue blood. This is not, this is, I'm not cut out for this work. He had a panic attack in Perga. He tucks tail and he takes off. Okay? And a lot of people surmise this. And so it's interesting um, because Paul doesn't preach, go back to the Perga slide, okay? Paul doesn't preach, he doesn't preach a sermon here in Perga in his first pass. What, what's up? He's in a hurry. He's in a hurry. He evangelizes everywhere he goes, but here he goes, shoots right through it. He, he wants to get Pisidian Antioch, 3,600 feet above sea level, okay? He's going to get higher, get out of the hum, human environment where, where, where it, it, it would uh, kind of exacerbate the conditions of malarial fever, okay? He wants to get out of that environment, up higher, higher elevations, easier, easier to deal with that kind of an illness. John Mark said, not for me. Can't do it. He's a blue blood, okay? And so uh, Luke records, uh, if we go back to slide uh, Acts 13, 13, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga, where John left them to return to Jerusalem and Luke records that he left and that he returned and and it's interesting the terms of uh, the term return it was used in military context uh, withdrawal after a defeat or retreat under fire John Mark felt he was under fire and he couldn't handle it it's interesting because Luke kind of lets him save some face here because later in Acts 15 we're going to read in just a second Paul says, he used the words for apostasy or desertion. He didn't just return to Jerusalem. John Mark just didn't feel the heat of the kitchen, return and get out of the kitchen and go back to Jerusalem with his tail tucked between his legs. No, he didn't just return. That's how Luke says it. He lets him save face. Luke, the guy that wrote the book of Acts, okay? He says he returned to Jerusalem. Paul clarifies, paints the picture a little more. He said, no, no, he didn't return to Jerusalem. He deserted. He, he left the mission, man. The pressure was too much. 
He couldn't handle the anxiety attack. The panic attack. You know, uh, what was Mark's deal? Everybody seems to be perplexed about that. What was his deal? Well, like I said, he's a Jerusalem blue blood, so he's not ready for spiritual warfare, and that's what he got. He was maybe a little too young. He didn't maybe do very well as a traveler. Maybe mosquitoes were too much. I don't know. But he struggled. In fact, one of the commentators I read shared how that he probably had a major issue with the fact that the power shift between the Paul-Barnabas team, it shifted from Barnabas, who was leading at the beginning of the journey, to now it's Paul that's the leader. And this is Barnabas was John Mark's uncle, family, blood, all right, family member. And when that demotion occurred and that little power shift took place, it was hard for him to adjust. We see it because uh, at the beginning of, of the mission, uh, Acts eleven thirty, it's Barnabas and Saul. Acts twelve twenty five, Barnabas and Saul is what we read. Acts thirteen two, Barnabas and Saul. All right. Then we get to Acts thirteen thirteen. It's Paul and his companions. Acts thirteen forty two. It's Paul and Barnabas. Acts thirteen fifty. Paul and Barnabas. What's Luke saying to you? There's a new kid in town. There's a new leader of the missionary enterprise. And Mark wasn't so sure he liked that. He, John Mark's uncle was no longer the leader and the spokesman. And John Mark succumbed to the pressure. Okay. Uh, he, he, it wasn't so much hunk, chunk, or drunk. It was he lost courage. He didn't know what else to do but run. See, I want you, you're my flock, right? I want you to face these kinds of Perga experiences with a plan. I'm, I'm going to love it if God shows up and does a miracle at 3 a.m. for you in the morning. But I want to set you up. I want my life to be set up in such a way that, 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 that I don't presume on God's deliverance at 3 a.m. in the morning when I want to be in my closet curled up because of all that's happening in the world. I would rather live my life on a regular basis such that I'm able to process the stress and the grief and the anxiety in such a way that I have the strength and stamina to keep going, to keep my sense of sentness in the world and continue to be a purpose, live a purpose-driven life on mission for God than just completely collapse and fold under the pressure of all that's going on around us. Okay? So we see this. And so, verse, uh, if we go to Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 41, let me just hasten through these verses. Sometime later now, they've, got, they've gotten back from the missionary journey. They've had the council in Jerusalem. And now they're getting ready to go. Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Paul was a discipler. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. He kept on insisting, no, no, Mark's going to go, Mark's going to go. Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them. Verse 38, in Pamphylia, and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement. Paruxusmos, or we get our English word paroxysm. A violent action or emotion, a very sharp and cutting, a strong emotional reaction and intense feeling. I think that's what Paul and Barnabas had. I think that's probably what John Mark had, and this morning, if you were honest, it might be what you have. And see, I think that Jesus Christ and your relationship with Him, and what I'm going to share with you here this morning and dealing with some of the anxiousness of life, is what's going to help me and guide you. Okay? And what am I saying to you? Well, if you look at underneath this dramatic episode, you have this underlying question. Who is in charge? Is it Paul or is it Barney? Which one? Who 
is calling the shots. Who's going to get their say? And even though Luke the writer starts listing Paul's name first, I don't think that the matter has been settled in John Mark's mind, the minds of some of the other people. And so what we have is a leadership struggle, a disagreement as to how to proceed. Listen, church, there is no hope for us if Jesus is not in charge of your life. He's got to be in charge. And you got family dissension and strife. You got two big big heavyweights in your family coming together like two big horn sheep. Bam! What's going to happen now? Listen, there's no hope for that situation outside of Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. And if you've had these huge family skirmishes, you've had these anxiety-inducing events, these relational breakdowns, the, 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 the whole atmosphere of the book of Acts is that Jesus is the answer. Why don't you surrender to him? Why don't you let this day be a day of pivoting where you, you take and, and you, despite the failures, the mistakes, the, the, the panic attacks, and these, these uh, challenging situations in your life, that you surrender, you let him be in charge and stop contending for the top dog position of your life. Let him be in charge. You surrender that. Get your ego and your pride out of the way. And let him come into your life. And I guarantee you, what's going to happen is, you don't have to run the world anymore. He's, he's, he's doing a good job. He's fine. Yeah, it's out of control. And there's a lot of free will rebellion out there. But he's, he's working. He, he, there's dove stories he drops in our life along the way. There's these moments where he lets us know he's there and he's operating. He's working. We've got to surrender to him. Open our life to him. You know, uh, as I was thinking about... Um, this, this surge of panic attack stories. Uh, let, let me just hasten to the, I think it's the last slide, the Rebecca Lyons story. Um, so she writes in Free Fall to Fly, a breathtaking journey toward a life of meaning. Um, she tells her story of how, like I shared with you earlier, how she moved from Georgia to New York City, and there was a lot of different reasons for doing that. Um, but she had a great life in Georgia, she, and the first of her three sons, Cade, things started happening and getting a little shaky. When he was born, he was born with Down syndrome. And not only that, but it, pre it presented a lot of different uh, difficulties and issues for her family. Before she had even left Georgia to move to New York City, she said, I'd al already resigned my position at a church that I loved, and... Uh, because Cade needed so many therapies, okay, so many therapies and special, special sessions and things just to develop. And she said, I would gather with the ladies from my community groups and stuff, and they would talk about their kids, and, 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 and I'd finally talk about Cade, and he's not even walking yet, and he's three years of age. And, 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 and instead of going to the potty in the, in the bathroom like all the other little kids were doing, you know, Cade is still messing the sheets up at age six. And she said, I just didn't know what to do with that. And so I just started praying, God, you just help my little boy and make him whole. And then I would, I would pray for, for God to make Cade, this Down syndrome little boy that he'd given me, for, for, for God to make Cade whole. And then I felt guilty. I feel guilty about praying that way, she said. And um, she remembers when the doctor called to give a, a confirmation of the diagnosis, whether he was... Uh, positive for Down syndrome or negative, and uh, she said I was in the bathroom getting ready, and my husband popped his head in the bathroom, and as soon as I saw his face, I just hit the floor. I collapsed. I knew I could see it on his face, and we knew what the what was what they were up against, and of course the blessing. They see Kate is a very special blessing and a privilege now, but at the time they struggled with this, and and, and she turned. She said I turned to tasking. To get through it. I just started doing stuff. Right? To deal with everything. But it, but it really turned out to be more of a distraction from grieving that I needed to do. But I didn't want to do it. She said they sold 75% of their possessions. Moved from Georgia to New York City in the Upper East Side of New York City. And she calls one of the chapters in her book that you see here on the screen, Free Fall to Fly... She calls one chapter the Park Avenue Meltdown. 
You ever had a Park Avenue meltdown? John Mark had a Perga meltdown. Paul and Barnabas had a, a, a Antioch and a Jerusalem meltdown. Where's your meltdown? I, I kind of felt the semblance of one on I-69 northbound. Where have you felt your meltdown coming on? What'd you do? How did you deal with it? Well, she calls it a Park Avenue meltdown. She's disoriented, right? She just moved. She's far from friends and family. She's adjusting to the city and public transportation, a pedestrian lifestyle. She's financially stressed. She's constantly scouring for summer activities for her kids to go do in a city that she doesn't know yet. She would walk for 45 minutes only to find that where she was going was now closed or she didn't have what she needed to get admittance. She just, she just melted down. She lost it. And she said, she said, finally, I had friends to invite me to Central Park for lunch and play. But little Cade, little Cade, little six-year-old Cade dug his little toes in and he would have none of it. He wanted to go home for lunch like he had for the last four days from the summer camp he was in there in New York City. And she was going to take him to Central Park and break the pattern. He was OCD a little anyway, and so that just sent him over the edge. Little six-year-old Cade, Down Central. They start crossing Park Avenue, six lanes, and a large median division, all right, right in the heart of New York City. There's two lanes in. They're two lanes into this thing, just trying to get to the median in the middle, and Cade loses it. He cried. He made his body go limp. He laid down flat with his palms pressed against the asphalt. He spread-eagled right there in the middle. And the stoplight, you know, it's just ticking down, ticking down, ticking down. I mean, it's going to turn green any second. All right? And so she manages to get the two kids to the other side, in the med- or to the middle median. She comes back for Cage. She said she looked at, she caught glimpses of the cab driver's faces. And they're just, they can't believe what's happening. This little boy spread-eagled in the middle of the road. In the street, a little 80-pounder. She said, I had to, I, I disguised a well, I pinched the inside of his upper arm and disguised it so nobody could see it. Get up, kid, we got to get out of this intersection. And she said, that didn't work, and I literally dragged all 80 pounds of him to the median. She said, uh, Kay needed order and structure. And she realized that she needed the same. All he wanted was for his life to be familiar again. You know, like we kind of want it. If it could just go back to normal. For nine years, he was in the same minivan, in and out of the same garage, traveling the same roads and the same streets. Rebecca Lyon writes, With my son collapsed in the middle of the widest road in America's busiest city, I rested in the midst of a powerful metaphor for my life. Cade wanted to return home, and so did I. She said, I went to bed that night and, and I broke. She said, that began something in me. She was on an airplane, and she had a panic attack, and as soon as that airplane touched down, she said she, was, she unbuckled at seat 29B and ran straight for the front. And that's a big no-no if you're just landing a plane. And she ran straight for the front. They ended up you know, corralling her and making her sit there in the front while everybody left. And she said, I just kind of hung my head in shame. And she said, one thing led to another. And I couldn't go in the elevators anymore. And I couldn't do the subway anymore. And, and, and it was in closed-in spaces I couldn't be in anymore. And then it, she said, eventually got to wide open spaces. I couldn't even be there. This thing just had me. And uh, she was just beside herself. She said, I was talking to a friend back in Georgia, and a friend said, Rebecca, perhaps your panic attacks represent something deeper. What if they are physical responses to your fear that you will never find what you were meant to do? Could the panic in your life be an indicator that you are close to breaking through? Well, like I said, she uh, eventually leaves 
in New York City, and she thought she had it, had it resolved. Seven years after moving to Franklin, Tennessee, it all comes back. She had a paroxysm in her life. A sudden violent outbreak, emotional violent outbreak, where her world was shaken and shutting down. Kind of like John Mark in Perga. What does she recommend? Ready? This is what she had to do. It's what we all have to do. It's what John Mark had to do. Step back. Here we go. Five, okay? Step back. She'd call it rest. You know what she says? I had to detox from social media. I had to get completely out of that. Because every time Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, all those things, she saw, you know, you're seeing people, and especially all of us today, you're seeing people getting shot, beat up. It's just awful. She said, I had to step back. I had to completely get away from that because that was, and I don't know why, but we have anxiety when we overshare our life. We live, we're living an overshared life. And she says, whose validation am I seeking anyway? By oversharing my life like I do. Step back. John Mark, he had to step back. He had to step back to Jerusalem. He had to detox and figure out who he was and what he was here to do. And I'm going to tell you what he did in just a second. God does a wonderful job of redeeming this whole situation. He steps back, okay? She said, I had to scale down. And I found that in New York City, at least I had to walk everywhere, and that actually helped me. And so by scaling down, you know, she, she didn't drive her car as much, but she walked more, and she said, that actually helped me, just the physical release of walking. I scaled down, and that helped. Change patterns. She said, I became more vulnerable instead of just, just trying to close in on my life and, and not tell people my struggles and my hurts and, and not identify with people in my church family and open up just about my life. She said, I just became more vulnerable and that helped me avoid those 3 a.m. God calls where I'm, I'm struggling, I'm sinking, I have to have God rescue me. She said, I just changed my patterns. I became more vulnerable with, with other people. I practiced hospitality more. I just invited people into my life more. That helped. You know, uh, when, when John went back to Jerusalem, you know who, dis, who ended up discipling him? We'll see it in just a little bit. Peter. Go to, go to my first Peter slide real quick. My first Peter slide. First Peter, I think it's... Uh, uh, there we go. Peter writes, First Peter 5, 13, so does my son Mark. What's he say? When, when, he, when you say my son, what's that mean? That's... that's oh. First century code for saying I discipled him. Can, can, Paul, can Peter tell you a thing to, or two about failure? Can Peter tell you a thing or two about beginning again and messing up and, and making mistakes and recovering from it? He who denied the Lord three times, he discipled John Mark. Okay? And you know what else happens? Well, you got to step back, you got to scale down, you got to change patterns. I think, I think John Mark did this, I think Rebecca Lyons does this, I think we got to do this. We rebuild credibility, all right, when we have failure and make mistakes in our life. We have to rebuild and we have to work on, we have to work on our relationships, maybe with the people that we've let down. Hey, go to the, go to the slide, uh, the Colossians, okay, the Colossians slide. This is what Paul writes 12 years after this whole episode Paul writes a letter to the Colossian believers and he says, My fellow prisoners, this is the end of the letter, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Then Paul says, You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, what's he say? Welcome him. Wow. Paul moves from he can't be on the team. I want you to welcome this guy. God, he has rebuilt credibility in the Christian community, especially in Paul's eyes. Go to the, go to the, uh, the, the Timothy slide. I think it's the next one. 
Okay, the, the, there it is, 2 Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me. Paul is within weeks, maybe days of his life. He's getting ready to be martyred for the faith at a, as a 64-year-old man, approximately. He's going to lose his life for the gospel's sake. And he writes to a young protege that he discipled. He called Timothy my son. So, so Paul discipled Timothy, and he met Timothy on the second missionary journey. It's amazing how God works, okay? But then he writes a letter, and he says in his final words, he says, would you get Mark Timothy and bring him with you? Why? Because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that beautiful? How can we make the most of our mistakes? How can we make the most of our meltdowns? How can we make the most of our failures? Okay? Finally, take time. That's what I'm talking about. Step back. Scale down. Change patterns. Rebuild credibility. And finally, take time. Okay, take the time. God's going to build you. He's going to work in your life. He's going he's to mold you into the person he wants you to be through the experiences that you've had. But it all is going to come back to a very important and critical decision that we all have to make. Who's in charge? Is Jesus in charge this morning? You know, uh, I find it interesting. I'm going to close with this. I find it interesting that Paul, the man who didn't want to take John Mark, he ends up, and I think Paul has learned some things as well, he ends up writing more about unity of the church than any other man in the New Testament. Do you remember what he says in other places in his letters? He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another, he writes. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, he writes in Ephesians. Has Paul learned something over the years? Has he learned something from this Barnabas-Paul episode in Acts 15? Has he learned something by what he's seen in John Mark's life? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He writes in Philippians. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you, almost, you also must forgive. You know, those all came out of the Pauline letters from the New Testament. So how are you doing this morning? You want to redeem the, the mistakes in your life? You want to redeem the failure? Okay? Are you willing to step back and evaluate why you're in panic attack mode? Are you willing to step back and consider why you made the mistakes you made? And why you're trying to, what are, what are you after to validate you? And why is that so important? And why is your world falling apart? Because that's not happening. Has money validated you? Has a job validated you? A home validated you? A status and prestige, has that validated you? Listen, that's all empty stuff. It'll never work. You need Christ to tell you who you are. Okay? Back up. Step back. Scale down. Simplify. Okay? Live for the, an audience of one. Change your patterns. What's been your patterns, your coping patterns, your coping mechanisms? You're going to work out all the time, be a hunk. You're going to eat all the time, be a chunk. You're going you're gonna, to uh, drink all the time, be a drunk. Okay, is that what we want to do? Is that how we want to resolve this? We've got to change our patterns. And maybe today's the day for you to change a pattern. Okay, rebuild credibility, that's all part of it. We've hurt our spouses, we've hurt our family members, we've hurt our team members. We, 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 when the pressure was on, we left Pergam, we tucked tail, and we ran back to Jerusalem. And we've hurt people because we have tucked tail, and we've not faced the, the, the tough stuff in life with them. And finally, will you take time? Take the time to heal. Take the time to reconsider that you can be a part of the most exciting mission in the world. And that is representing Jesus 
sharing his love, offering your broken, messed up, anxiety-prone life to him. And say, now, Lord, it's yours. I surrender it. You're the boss. I'm more than happy to be your servant. You take care of me. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Much better way to deal with the kind of atmosphere that's toxic in our world today. Okay? I encourage you. I entreat you. Let's do it God's way. Let's walk in the Pauline exhortations. Love and forgive one another. Move forward. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this day. I realize I look at a group of people who have a lot of anxious thoughts. Maybe on I-69, that's where it was for me. Maybe for them, it's at home, at work. Uh, Maybe it's in the counseling office. Maybe it's just a a moment in their life where everything just seems to be closing in. They don't know what to do. I pray, Father, that in your gracious, loving hand, you would reach them. And I just have a sense that there's a, a considerable amount of healing that can take place in the families of Stones Hill today because of our brand new approach, how we want to think about this, how we want to approach this. And so I just pray today that all parts of our life would be surrendered, our obedience would be up to date, and you would help us to lean into this new way of thinking. And so whether it's a Park Avenue meltdown or whatever, would you help us just to learn the simple things Will you forgive me? I think maybe somebody needs to say that to somebody today. I just have a sense right now. Somebody needs to look at somebody and say, I need you to forgive me. Would you engender courage in them to do that today? I think maybe somebody needs to say, I'm sorry. Would you help them have the courage to say, I'm sorry? And would you help the John Marks among us? Maybe they've had, they've come up against a really tough and bitter Paul. And not that he was bitter here, but maybe a a Paul-like figure in their life that was so harsh. And they were so talented. God, they've been so talented and blessed. And they could have done so much in your kingdom. But they just can't get past that time when someone didn't believe in them. Would you touch them today? And would you bring a Barnabas alongside them that would believe in them? And set them free. Would you do that? We're going to trust you. We're going to lean in hard on you, Lord. And we ask and pray you would love us and be patient with us when we resist your truth. And you, you lead us ever so carefully to the places of reconciliation. Where maybe someone we didn't think would ever have a place in our family again. Maybe we need to say like Paul. Come and see me soon. Your presence is needful. I need you in this place in my life. So you guide us, you lead us, you direct us. In the strong name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You have been a great group. Will you stand with me? Okay. I think the governor is mandating masks. I think it's coming up on Monday. And just for the record, my beard identifies as a mask. So everybody, just so, so you know that. Uh, my, it identifies as a mess. I'm good. No, not really. Listen, let's obey the governor and do what he says for us to do, okay? And, and be uh, sensitive to that. Uh, but we're going forward. Church is on, okay? From week after week for the glory of God and pray for California. They're shutting them down there. Pray for them. They've got to give them wisdom, okay? Blessings. Have a great week.